0: If you don't know me, you shouldn't know me. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning. It's so good to see you all. Oh, praise God. I love the eggs in God's basket thing, New. <laughs> it's so true and fitting around coming up to Easter too, isn't it? We want to put all our eggs in God's basket. <laughs> God is so good. Oh, yes, all the time. Yes, amen. Um, just a couple of things, uh, and that is in regards to some things coming up. Um, thank you for the people that have got their cell phones either turned off or on silent. Um, just another way to honor God is to, is to keep our phones quiet during the service. Uh, we don't want anything to interrupt the Holy Spirit, do we? A um, couple of things we've got. Next week we have a shared lunch. Um, this is for our church family. Um, and oh yes it's up on the screen wonderful so we've got um, two services next week but after the 10.30 service we are going to have a shared meal and we'll also um, work out a way to introduce the leaders for the ones that have only recently been started coming to Centre Church as well just so that you know who we are and um, by the way if you are new and you don't receive our email newsletter then let somebody know because it's you're not if you're not receiving it it's because we haven't got your email address so let us know that um in regards to the shared lunch next week just bring something either sweet or i don't know some cheese or something like that um and we're going to uh, the church and if, and some people um as in, as individuals will also be providing some things also And at the end of March, we have Easter. And Easter is a wonderful time where we celebrate the birth and and also, well, not the birth, sorry, the the death on the cross of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. And it's not all about Easter eggs, although we do put our eggs in God's basket. I do like that. But we've got a 10.30 service that morning on Sunday the 31st of March. So I'd like to invite you to invite people Um, there are some of these out on the back table out in the foyer, grab a few and invite some family and friends to that, Uh, we would love to see more people coming, start inviting people to church it's really really important for people to know God and if you don't lead them to the Lord yourself and outside of church then bring them to church you know they can learn about God there okay so I've been Preaching about our covenant with God for a number of weeks, and <clears throat> Pastor Robin spoke last week. She gave a great message. What was it called? Something about a miracle. I'd have to look in my look in my notes. What did I write? <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Your miracle is within reach. It was a very good message. If you missed it, go online and listen to the audio. But in the, morning, in the 9 a.m. service, I was preaching again on covenant. So this week, I'm going to do a little bit of that's what I spoke last week at the 9 a.m. service and also um, go on to uh, some other things as well. We're going to have communion, but it's going to wait until um, the, the end of my message. So I just want to read a scripture out of Hebrews. It's Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and as a discerner and of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what God's word is. Well, Jesus is the word, but we've got the written word. And, you know, the, the word of God is amazing. It just hits us here when we need it. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need, doesn't it? And isn't it amazing that when, <clears throat> when we go to hear a message, sometimes a few people will say, oh, my goodness, it's like they were speaking just to me. But it's not that. It's because the Holy Spirit has has spoken to you through that message. So I'm just going to pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love and your mercy, the life you've given us and the covenant that you've given us uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. And I just pray, Father God, that ears will be open to hear, eyes will be open to see and, and understand your word this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you bring revelation to us in Jesus' name. All right, so I've been talking about the new covenant that's been sealed in Jesus' blood. And we beca- the cool thing is that that, were, that covenant came into reality 2,000 years ago, and yet we weren't even born then, were we? So, So when we make that decision to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, we become part of that covenant as well, which is amazing. But unless you understand the covenant and you understand the authority and, and power that we have through Jesus, you won't fully uh, take up, understand it, or be able to um, partake in the blessings either. So it's really important that you understand the new covenant. So you know, first of all, Jesus' blood cleanses, cleanses and washes away our sin. That's that's amazing. Because you know, when we made the decision to accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, his blood covered all our sin, everything, even future. And you know, we can stand before God without condemnation, according to Romans eight one. And Hebrews nine eleven says that Jesus is our high priest, and he's also our mediator, it says in Hebrews as well, between man and God. So he's our mediator between um. God, he, he's the mediator for us for the new covenant. And so why do we need a mediator? It's because our right standing with God was lost because of sin. And until Jesus died on the cross for us, we didn't have any legal ground with which to approach God. So, But on the cross, God laid all of man's sin on Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. So, our sins were removed entirely as if they never happened. Isn't that cool? Has anyone ever done any bad things in their life? Few people know, never. (laughs) We all have done things wrong, right? But God, no matter what it is, He forgives us. And I love that about God. Man's sin problem was settled from the moment that Jesus' blood was spilled because of what Jesus did. And that's why there's only one way to God. You can't find salvation through any other religion. You can't find it through uh, being good. Um, It's only through Jesus. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there is no other mediator. Uh, And as God's new covenant partners, we can stand fearlessly on his word. And it's because Jesus is our surety or our guarantor that God's part in the new covenant will be performed. And Hebrews 7.22 says, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant and Jesus acts on our behalf. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says he's our high priest. He says that he's our mediator. He is also our advocate, which is like a defense attorney. And 1 John 2, 1 says, These things I write to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So one part of our covenant with God, and I want to focus on this for the first part of my message, is actually related to our tithe. Now the tithe means 10% of our, of our income or our increase. And it's mentioned uh, in a few places. Um, but in Hebrews 7, and I'm just going to go there because there aren't scriptures up on the screen today. Hebrews 7, two. it says, To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So that's talking about a tithe. And further down in verses 4 and 5, again it says Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And then it says um, about receiving tithes from the people. Okay, so that's what that's talking about. Now, a little bit further down, <clears throat> in verse 8, it says, here, meaning in our physical world, mortal men receive tithes. Didn't we just do that? we was standing here, and he, he said, pass the baskets around. Most of us give online these days, but there's one or two people that still give by cash. Um, but here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. So in the physical realm, mortal men receive tithes, and under the old covenant, people gave their tithe to the Levitical priesthood, and they would present the tithe on the altar before God. But under the new covenant, which is a new and better covenant, in the physical realm, we also give our tithe um, to mortal men. In other words, in the place where we receive our spiritual food, Um, it's the storehouse mentioned in Malachi 3.10. It's the church that we're planted in. Therefore, mortal men receive the tithe, but the verse goes on to say that there he receives them. So that there in heaven, Jesus, who is our high priest, uh, receives our tithes. Isn't that? That's really cool. So Jesus is the one that receives our tithes. And so when we bring our tithe, Hebrews 7, 8 says, he, there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. So it says it is witness. And the Greek meaning of witness is, is giving evidence. It's actually evidence or testimony given in court. Um, so when I bring my tithe to my high priest, Jesus, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm tithing, by the way. I know that I'm physically giving it to the church, but to, in my mind, I'm giving it to my Lord Jesus, my high priest. Um, and my tithe becomes my testimony that I believe that Jesus lives as my mediator, as, as my high priest, as my intercessor, as my advocate. And there's scriptures for all of those. He's our intercessor, as mentioned in Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7 has got all sorts of good stuff in it. The whole The whole book does. <laughs> but if you want to learn about covenant, Hebrews is the place to go. So when I tithe, it speaks on, my tithe speaks on my behalf. It becomes evidence. And my tithe reveals to God my motivation. Um, D- Jesus is able to use my tithe as evidence to present to God as he intercedes for me, as he mediates for me, as he advocates for me, which is actually really powerful when you think about it. So when Jesus receives our tithe, he presents it on our behalf to the Father um, and blesses us. And and a, a, a little picture of how that used to happen in the Old Testament, you can go to Deuteronomy 26 for that. So if you're facing any kind of trial, whether it's financial or a need for healing or protection, whatever, you can go to God and place a demand on the covenant based on the fact that you're a tither. That's cool. You can say, Lord, I am a tither, and as part of the covenant I have with the Most High God, my tithe is evidence that I believe that you live as my priest, mediator, advocate, and intercessor. You make intercession on my behalf to the Father, and as my mediator and advocate, I thank you that you speak on on my behalf so that my needs are met or I receive my healing, Um, whatever your need is. So when we give our tithe, it's evidence. It's testimony to God. I think that's, is, that is such a powerful thing, and it's something we need to learn to tap into because um, it's easy to give a tithe by, and just forget about it not really apply your faith. Because everything that we do, it says we have to apply our faith to. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need to make sure that we're always applying our faith. But we need to... So, like, for example, there have been times where I've just tithed by just putting the money in, and I've just done it and not applied my faith, which is a real waste, (laughs) It's like a lost opportunity <laughs> because I, I should have been applying my faith there because it's something, you know, it's, it's a whole thing that God's got as part of our covenant that when we tithe, this is a whole another thing that we can tap into, and let's learn to do that. So our tithe is not just an act of obedience to God's words, it's as an act of worship, and it actually speaks on our behalf and it reveals our motivation. So it provides evidence to God so that we can legitimately claim what he's promised. So no matter who we are, our money speaks for us or against us. Um, James 5, verses 1 through to 3 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. Now um, witness against you in James 5 3 in the Greek original means evidence against you. Isn't that interesting? Or testimony against you. So, you know, I by the way, money isn't bad, and neither are riches, and God wants us to be prosperous. Why? Because To be a blessing, we need to first be blessed. So we need to be blessed in order to be a blessing, don't we? Um, So money and riches are good, actually, can be good. But they have no emotion, and they don't have any motivation. They're just things. Money can be used for good things, and money can be used for bad things. But in the hands of of the... children of God, the covenant partners of God, we can do such powerful things, can't we? But the thing to remember with our finances is that they are speaking on on our behalf, either as evidence for us or against us. Um, but our finances do have a voice. So when we tithe, our tithe speaks on our behalf as positive evidence. Which Jesus as our mediator, intercessor, and high priest uses on our behalf. So I want to give you a little example of this, um, and it's from Acts 10. So if you've got your Bible here, um, turn to Acts 10. It's a really powerful example. And it's an example of a man who actually wasn't um, Jewish. He was a what they called a Gentile, which is anyone that's not Jewish. And he was an Italian centurion and he feared God and prayed always and gave generously. So I'll just, I won't just—I will read the whole thing, but the, it basically goes, the entire chapter is about this. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a d- devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour an angel of God came and said to him in a vision Cornelius What is it lord he said your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God So Cornelius's prayers and his generous giving created a memorial before God It spoke and caused God to remember his household, his family, and, you know, as a result, his family was one of the first, if not the first, Gentile family to become part of the New Covenant, to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And so isn't that cool that his prayers and his giving had come up as a memorial before God? So when we are tithers, when we are, you know, givers, we we can place a demand on the covenant in that way as well. Okay, I'm just going to change tack a little bit here. God's never going to turn his back on his covenant. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. I love that. We've been adopted into his family. And not only that, but he's made us heirs. <laughs> so when we, be, when we became part of the new covenant, through the choice we made to make Jesus our Lord and Savior, in Romans ten nine, we became God's children. And then we became heirs and co-heirs with Jesus. And an heir is a person who is legally entitled to an inheritance. And what's our inheritance? It's all the promises in the word of God. Okay. Promises of life, provision, healing, health, supply, deliverance, salvation, all of that. And we can be absolutely 100% sure that God is going to keep his side of the covenant. Um, he has He describes us even in Hebrews 6.17 as the heirs of what was promised. And not only that, but as I mentioned before, Jesus is the guarantor or the surety that God's part in the covenant will be performed. You know what a guarantor is? I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks back. Somebody who guarantees, you know, like if you've got money you want to borrow, somebody guarantees it, it means it will definitely get paid back. Whether that person does it or not, the other person will, the guarantor will back it up. And that's what Jesus is for us. So we can actually boldly, as as God's covenant partners, we can boldly enter the throne room because of what Jesus' blood has done. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 20 says, let me just turn there. Hebrews 10, verses what is it, 19 to 20, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. Okay, so it's just talking about how we can, as God's new covenant partners, we can boldly go to him with our requests because Jesus' blood has made us right with God. That's what righteousness is all about. We've been made right with God. We've been clothed in white linen. We've been made right in his sight. Because of not because of works we have done, but because of what Jesus did. Um, and so we have every right to go and place a demand on our covenant with him. And Hebrews uh, verses uh, chapter ten again, verses twenty-one to twenty-three says, and having a high priest. That's Jesus, by the way. Over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And if I just go down to verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So God is saying here that we don't need to be shy. If we know our covenant, we can boldly enter the throne room because we're, we're covenant partners with God. And as I talked about a few a number of weeks back, a covenant between two tribes, um, will one tribe's strength will, will benefit the other tribe because that might be their weakness and, and vice versa. And so we can boldly enter God's throne room. We don't need to be shy. We don't need to hold back. We don't need to lack courage in approaching God. Um, If we don't understand the covenant, I know that there are some Christians that don't feel courageous enough to boldly enter the throne room, but that's a lack of understanding of the covenant. So he's encouraging us to draw near to him. Um, He's assuring us that he is faithful um, and he's telling us to make sure that our words line up with his covenant. We need to make sure that's an important one. Our words, what we speak out of our mouth, It's got to be blessing, not cursing, and that's including over speaking about ourself. We can't be saying, oh, man, that's useless. I'm useless at that. We can't be doing that. We can't do that. We've got to make sure that the words that we let come out of our mouth are positive and not not, um, negating the things written in here. So Hebrews, uh, yeah, so God expects us to encourage and support one another. And I'm going to keep reading um, verses 24 to 25, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, goes on to say, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So these verses are a continuation of what God is saying about going to him with boldness, drawing near to him in faith and then holding fast onto that confession of what you're hoping for. So when I'm talking about that, all I'm saying is that, you know, we can go to God with boldness if we really need something. We don't need to be amazing with our words and, like, God's not ever going to say to you, that prayer was sort of substandard. I don't, I'm not going to listen to your prayer because it wasn't, it didn't have any these and thys in it. or any O Lord gods. (laughs) We don't need to pray in a specific way. We just need to remember that we're part of the covenant and it's because of Jesus' blood. And that's why it says pray in my name. You know, Um, so God's not going to ever judge us by the way we pray to him. And so we, we can boldly go to him with our prayers. And that's what that scripture is saying is that we have full access to God's throne room. And we've got a Bible, or at least we've got access to one easy in this nation. hey? Not every nation has easy access to a Bible. We're actually pretty blessed because we have easy access, whether it be um, hard copy or even on here, we've got access to a Bible. And when we spend time reading it, it goes from our head, which is where it initially comes in, but when we keep mulling over it and meditating it, where does it go? Into our heart. And that's where it stays. And the Holy Spirit lives in us at, because we're His temple. We're described as His temple. You know, under the old covenant, there was a, an actual temple. Um, but now we've got a new and better covenant, it says in Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 8. Verse 6, it says, He, Jesus, is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Um, And it said in verse 7, For if that covenant, the first one, had been faultless, then we wouldn't have needed a second one. Um, And so under the old covenant, you know, the animals were sacrificed and the blood was spilt and that would cover the sin for a certain amount of time. Then it would have to be repeated. But Jesus, his death on the cross, because he never sinned, meant that once and for all, never again needing to be done, the sin of man would be covered. And that became our new covenant. It's better. And a little bit, um, now where does it say? Let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. In chapter 8, verse 10, yeah, it goes on to say that this is the covenant I will make, says God, and it's a repeat of a scripture from the Old Testament, and he says, and it's a prophetic word, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. That's what is better about the better covenant, because in the old covenant, people didn't have daily access and easy access to the word of God. But now we can read it, and, and as God says, I'll put my laws in their mind and in their heart. Because that's how it works. We read it, we think about it, goes in here, then it drops down into our heart. And so the Holy Spirit, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, which is cool. Much prefer that than anything else. Um, And that means that everywhere we go, God goes with us. And so that means that we can rely on him, we can lean on him, we can trust him, we can um, we we can listen to him when he's saying, oh, probably not the best idea, don't do that. And if we, as long as we don't like run roughshod and ignore him, it'll keep us safe. But, and this is um, this is where we go to. Um, I'm just going to go back to Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. But we are human, and God knows that. We make mistakes, don't we? Um, God knows that. And so his intention has always been for us to be connected to a local ecclesia, which is the Greek word for an assembly or a congregation. He never intended us to be separated, living our life separate from a local church. How do I know that? Um, by the way, I just want to say here that um, don't think about other people while I'm preaching this. Just think about yourself, <laughs> okay? Um, we need to reflect on ourselves. okay? We need to judge ourself. Matthew 7.1 and also in 1 Corinthians 11.31, it, it says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, right? Okay, so this is not the intention for us to be thinking, oh, that might apply to that person. That's not what I'm trying to get you to do at all, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit will convict, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to convict. Um, when, And also, too, Jesus said, remember, take the plank out of your own eye before you try and remove a speck from someone else's. So anyway, um, Hebrews ten, twenty-four, and 25, I want to talk about what the Greek meanings of these things are. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So first of all, to consider one another is, is about um, thinking of each other, getting to know each other, fixing one's mind or eyes on each other. In other words, um, being connected and knowing each other well. That's what that's talking about. And then it says to stir up love and good works. So that means inciting for good. The word incitement is usually used in a, in a bad way, but this is inciting for good. Provoking to love, um, stimulating to do good. So, considering one another to consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then it goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, forsaking means abandoning um, or deserting. Um, Assembling together means gathering together. Okay, so it's a group of people together that fulfil the specific purpose of the gathering. Okay, So we've been put together, if you're part of this church, we've been put together as a, as a local gathering, a local body, a local ecclesia, you could say. Um, and we've got a specific purpose. Uh, Centre church, we've, we've, we seem to be called to restoring people. And restoring broken lives, and and that's, I mean, our name, our our official name is Christian Restoration Centre, but we go by Centre Church. But that's what we're about. We're about restoration, restoration. And so that's our that's what we're doing together. That's our purpose. Um, and so. It sounds it sounds it sounds like a good thing. Um and when it says as is the manner of some, that's just talking about that's the habit of some people. Okay? So in the Lisa Isaac's paraphrase, you could read that as being something like this Think of each other in a supportive way in order to inspire each other to do good. Don't abandon gathering together to worship, because that's another really important thing is we, we gather together to worship God, don't we? We gather together to worship, um, but but don't turn your back on gathering together, um, as has become the habit of some. But instead, regularly encourage and build each other up. You know, we've been put here to accomplish the specific purpose that God's given us as a whole. So, why does God tell us to be connected to a local ecclesia or church? It's to encourage us, it's to comfort us, it's to exhort us, it's even to admonish us. And that word means to warn someone not to do something in a kind way. So if being planted and connected in a local church wasn't important, why did Jesus appoint the fivefold ministry to equip all Christians for the assignment God's given them? Well, let's have a look. Ephesians 4 turn there Ephesians 4 I'm going to read verse 11 and 12 It says and he himself now that's Jesus gave some to be apostles these are the five ministries apostles and some to be prophets some to be evangelists some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints that's Christians for the work of the ministry for the edifying or spiritual advancement, you could say, of the body of Christ. And so you'll notice in verse 11 that the word pastors is mentioned, and that's one of the fivefold ministries. Um, By the way, uh, Jesus, Jesus put in place the fivefold ministry, but if we think about it, Jesus was... Jesus would have been all of those things. If we think about his life, he was an apostle. He started a church from completely from scratch, didn't he? Um, he was a prophet. He was always speaking prophetically. He was an evangelist. You can't tell me that somebody that doesn't draw 5,000 men plus women and children into a deserted place for an entire day isn't an evangelist. <laughs> and he was a pastor. He, was, he cared about the people. He discipled not only his 12 disciples, but there were others as well. And he was an amazing teacher. People would come to hear his teaching. So he was gifted with all of those gifts. So he had everything. And so it makes sense, doesn't it, that then once he's, he's died on the cross, done his job, gone to heaven, that he then gives those gifts to his body because that's what we're called. The church is called the body of Christ. And so those five ministries are given to the church. And there's reason why that is there. But uh, but before I get on to that, um, the word pastor means shepherd, feeder, protector. It's somebody who the Lord raises up for the total well-being of the flock. Um, and also, in another meaning from the Greek is overseers of the Christian assemblies. So that's what pastors are, overseers. So the pastor's job is to shepherd, to feed, to protect, to oversee, to look after the local flock which God has entrusted them with. Um, And Ephesians 4.15 says that part of the pastor's job is to speak the truth in love, just like it is for you as well. It says, speaking the truth in love, verse 15 of Ephesians 4, may grow up in all things um, to him who is the head, which is Jesus. So in the original Greek, speaking the truth, this is what it means. Spirit-led confrontation, where it is vital to tell the truth so that others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. Shall I read that again? It's quite good, that, actually, eh? Speaking the truth means spirit-led, spirit-led, the spirit capital S, that's Holy Spirit-led confrontation, where it is vital to tell the truth so others can live in God's reality rather than personal illusion. And speaking the truth in love, that is agape love, which means it's it's God's kind of love. It's unconditional love. It's love that endures regardless of the circumstances. It's love that restores. And that's our job as pastors, and that's your job as well. We've always got to speak the truth in love, never in anger, Never. It's no help if you speak the truth in anger. That isn't going to do anything. <laughs> or speaking the truth in judgment, or, or anything like that. Um, so speaking the truth in love is, is so important. And that's what Jesus always did, and that's what he asked us to do. Um, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, it says in Hebrews 3.20. Um, the great, it says, May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Isn't that cool? And then it goes on to say um, he'll make you complete in every good work to do his will. So why is Jesus the great shepherd and why does he place the call to be pastor or under-shepherd, which is another meaning on some people? It's because his goal is to make all of us complete. And there's another reason why Jesus calls some to the fivefold ministry, and why Jesus calls pastors, and that's Ephesians four fourteen that says that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, but in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to to deceive. So, um, doctrine is just teaching or instruction. and we've just got to be very careful who we allow ourselves to listen to it re- we really do because um doctrine if it isn't quite right can send us off into deception and and which is which is like a delusion in the original greek or an error um and it results in wandering so jesus calls pastors to help their flock grow up to mature Christians. And reaching maturity as a Christian doesn't have to take years. Um, In fact, maturity as a Christian's got nothing to do with your physical age at all. Some Christians are uh, babies for years and need to be bottle-fed for years, which is very frustrating from the point of a pastor, point of view of a pastor. (laughs) And yet others will just go move ahead and mature in leaps and bounds. And why is that? It's because they spend time in this. It's because they spend time in the Word of God. Um, so the pastor knows the flock. Um, reading a book or listening to ministers online can be really helpful, but they don't know you. Um, therefore relying on these solely can be very dangerous potentially because it is easy to get off track and not realise it um, and in addition to that, being a pastor isn't a call that can be taken lightly because pastors have to give, a ca- give account to God for the souls of those they're shepherding according to Hebrews 13, 17 so my, um, my word to you is and you know like the Holy Spirit when I was saying before about speaking the truth in love, sometimes I have messages that I think, oh, my goodness, really, Holy Spirit, do you really need me to say that? And I even pray, don't, don't I? When we go driving down here on Sundays, I always will pray, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to say. Show me what you don't want me to say. And show me what you do want me to say. And, and I'm getting better at learning to hear his voice. Because I don't read this. This isn't word for word what I'm saying here. I've added some things and I've taken away some things. And it's because I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. But, you know, God loves you and that's why. That's why he wants you to hear the truth and love. So Psalm 92, just finally, before we finish and have communion, Um, verses 12 to 14 says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. That sounds good. Being planted in church, like being planted in the house of the Lord, that's implying putting down roots, isn't it? And becoming connected. Calling your church your home. So being planted means that you get fed. Um, And so if you haven't actually planted yourself in a local church, I'd really strongly recommend that you ask God to reveal to you where you should be planted and then make it your home. Make a decision and stick to it. Um, Get to know people. Get to a place where you're mature in God. Um, Okay, so before we go and do communion, I actually want to give an opportunity for anyone that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, um, to to make a decision because then you can share communion with us. Um, let me read a scripture out of Romans, and it says this. Uh, hold on. Uh, here we go. Romans ten nine. This is this is what you need need to do to receive uh, salvation, and. It's, all it is is a prayer. All you have to do is just say a little prayer. It says, if you confess with your mouth, that means speak out, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says in Romans ten nine. 9. It's cool, way. Eh? If you say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as easy as that. Um, It says in John 3.16 that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that anybody who believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And, you know, God is not all about sort of um, I just want you to be saved so you can go to heaven. He actually wants us to live a good life here as well. He wants us to be living a blessed life, not... um, not encumbered by addictions or any kind of um, thing where the enemy has got a stronghold in our life and causing us problems. You know you know that um, the enemy actually, Satan, he actually puts thoughts in your mind. He can do that. And if you don't recognize it for what it is, you'll think that it's your thoughts. Anything like, you're useless. This isn't for you. Those those kinds of things, as you as you become more mature, you re- learn to recognize those thoughts as not being from you. Um, and so, I just wanted to um, open that up to anybody that has never made that choice or would like to recommit their heart to the Lord. And so, I'm going to get everyone to say this prayer now. If that's you, I want everyone to say it, but I want you in particular to say it with. A <laughs> with all your heart, okay? And so if we close our eyes, that us want to pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord. And personal savior. Amen. Has anyone ever anyone prayed that today for the first time? Put your hand up. Okay. If you if you have, and I just haven't noticed you because it's gone darker. Um, we've got something for you, so uh, just wanted to um, invite the people that are taking or serving communion. Up And while while they're doing that, when we take communion, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we're renewing our commitment to the new covenant that Jesus established 2,000 years ago. And it's where we remember what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And it's where we refresh and renew our commitment to him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 to 25, Paul showed that Jesus' command To remember him through communion was a command for all of us. And he said, the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Because his body was actually broken for us. Um, And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we're going to remember what Jesus did on the cross. It was through his, he knew, he could have have called thousands and thousands of angels to stop what was happening, but he chose to willingly give his life for us. So we never, ever should ever take communion lightly. And uh, so that's why it says in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11, let a man examine himself. Verse 29 goes on to say, For he who eats and drinks, or partakes in communion is what that means, in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or have died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged so. To examine ourself is to scrutinize ourself, to reflect on ourself and our motivations. So before we take communion, um, and James, have you got some music maybe that we could play, please? So let's just take a moment. Um, you can come and res- come and collect your communion, and then just go back to your seat and just reflect for a moment, and I'll just give you guys a few minutes or moments to come and Collect your communion.